This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one of the most viewed presidents in our history, partly because of the New Deal, partly because of guiding our country through World War II, and partly because of his fight with polio. Maybe less discussed were the relations he had with women outside of his wife, Eleanor. One of the women linked to FDR was longtime personal secretary, Missy Lahan. Yet Lahan should be viewed with a more historic eye because of what she did professionally for the 32nd president. She was in all intent and purposes, his chief of staff, really before the term was a popular one and used professionally. And a new book looks at her role in Roosevelt's White House and his professional career. The book is called The Gatekeeper, and the author of the book is Catherine Smith. And Catherine joins us on the phone right now. Catherine, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, from, from what I could tell uh, from the book and the notes, you obviously had to work with uh, with Missy Lahan's family pretty closely on this book. Yes, very closely. She had, uh, Missy never married and never had children, but she had two nieces who she adored. And the, the daughters of these nieces were the ones that I worked with. So they were Missy's great nieces. And they had just boxes and boxes of boxes of wonderful pictures and letters mm-hmm. and other uh, archives that I, I used extensively in the book. Well, let, let's start with how the two uh, people really, they, they came together in the first place. Give us the background on that. Okay. Um, FDR, a lot of people didn't, don't remember this or had forgotten it. Um, he ran for vice president in 1920 as the vice presidential candidate of James M. Cox, and they ran against um, Harding and Coolidge, that scintillating and charismatic ticket, <laughs> and were trounced. And Missy was the campaign secretary for um, Frank Roosevelt's Roosevelt for Vice President office. And after the election was over, FDR decided to go to Wall Street to make some money because he'd been working uh, for the government as assistant secretary of the Navy for eight years and had five children. And his family was well off, but they weren't fabulously rich. So he really needed to, to work and make money. So he went to Wall Street and he hired Missy as his private secretary. And that's how she entered his um, his business life and his professional life. And she worked with FDR all the way through him reaching the White House. And I guess from what I understand, she had to leave her job because of some medical problems yeah. uh, in around the early 40s. She she was in 1941. Um, she was only 40. Uh, Four years old, she 43 years old. She had a, a terrific stroke, and um, was not able to work after that. She literally worked herself to death. She died when she was 47. Uh, we're talking with Catherine Smith. The book is The Gatekeeper, uh, which looks at the uh, relationship between Missy Lehand, who was the personal secretary of uh, FDR, and uh, her time uh, working for him both uh, in, in his political career and then obviously uh, when he made to the White House as well. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. A, a lot has been written about whether about whether or not FDR had personal relationships with with Missy Lehan and, and maybe o- o- other women as well. Other women. Mm-hmm. Did, yeah, that, did, that, did he? Did he? Well, we don't know. Um, I like to quote uh, his great niece, Jane Scarborough, who says, we have no reason to think they did, but the truth is we don't know. 
I think it says more about us than about him that we've got this sordid curiosity. Sure, yeah. But um, that was the main thing that I'd read about Missy before, that she was this lovelorn secretary, just sort of pathetic, or that she was his mistress. And when I started researching the book, I found out that the story was, was much more nuanced than that, that she really was his gatekeeper, his confidant, yeah. a very important advisor, and and was the de facto chief of staff. And just as a reminder, there has never been a woman yeah. chief of staff at the White House except on House of Cards, and we know what happened to poor <laughs> Linda Vasquez. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't, because I've never seen the show, oh, so, so don't you ruin to, it. Oh, you need to go watch it. No. Well, I won't tell you any more than that. Well, I think you've <laughs> kind of led me down the down the path on that one. Uh, uh, but But it is interesting that I guess at that time, she had to be maybe the one of the, one of the two or three most powerful people in Washington D.C. You write about the fact that yeah. you know if if you wanted to talk to FDR and you wanted to talk you wanted to you know bring something forth to him you had mm-hmm. to go through Missy first. She was the best way to get there, and she operated the back door to the White House. Um, there were a lot of people that didn't want to get on FDR's calendar, his official calendar, and there were people that he didn't want to get on the calendar. So he would just say, "Well, just." Call Miss LeHand and she'll let you in through the back door to my office because she had the only only office adjoining his. Mm-hmm. She looked out on the Rose Garden and people would just come in the back door and go through her office and, and bypass the official calendar. Um, and the other thing that she did is she would bring people in that she thought would be good for FDR. And the most important of these was Tommy Corcoran, who was a worked for the federal government. He was a lawyer. He was a protege of Felix Frankfurter. He'd mm-hmm. been his student at Harvard Law. And this group of guys around the Capitol were called the Happy Hot Dogs. He was a happy hot dog. (laughs) And uh, he got to be, he and Missy were both uh, Irish Catholics, uh, Irish American Catholics. And um, she brought him in to play the accordion for FDR after dinner one night. And FDR liked him. So Tommy would start showing up at her office and telling her what was going on and what the scuttlebutt was on Capitol Hill and the gossip. And she said, well, let me go in and tell FD about that. She called him FD. And (laughs) If FD wanted to hear more, he'd say, yes, send Tommy in. I want to hear about that. And Tommy became the White House lobbyist, never had that position. And he Mm. was the man who just really pushed through, like, the Social Security bill and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's all because of Tommy. Uh, We're talking with Catherine Smith, who is the author of the book called The Gatekeeper. Uh, It is a look at Missy Land, who was the uh, de facto chief of staff for FDR when he was uh, president uh, back in the uh, in the 40s. And that time obviously was was an amazing time for this country. And and you write about, I guess, the the fact that when World War Two actually started, Mm -hmm. it was Missy Land that actually told FDR what the Germans had done. Mm -hmm. and, and, And she was the one that actually was the first woman to to talk to him about this uh, not the eleanor first person first oh, yeah. person yeah. first eleanor wasn't even in the white house that night i think she was in hyde park and the rule at the white house with over he was over the switchboard operators was they could not wake the president up after he went to bed without consulting her first so she <laughs> gets a call at about 2 a.m it's from um, ambassador bullet in paris he'd heard from the ambassador in poland that the germans had invaded Could he talk to FDR? And she said, sure. And they sent the call up to him. She dressed and ran downstairs to his room. And so they were just sitting up in his bedroom listening to this appalling news. Hmm. And FDR scribbled out a little um, note on a piece of scrap paper about what he'd done and wrote the end, you know, in bed, 3.15 a.m., FDR. And Missy put it in her scrapbook. 
Was she still there uh, working for FDR when uh, when uh, uh, December 7th of 41 no, rolled around? She had had her stroke in June, and she had gone down to Warm Springs for rehabilitation. Um, that We hadn't even talked about that, but she yeah. helped FDR establish the polio hospital there. Yeah. And she was um, in a wheelchair and all that sort of thing, so she was not. And she was very upset, tried to call the White House, couldn't get through to him. You know, it was a little bit crazy that day. It, it it has been written about the relationship that FDR and Eleanor had, and and mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned it's very interesting. I think the fact that when when FDR passed away, that the division of wealth mm-hmm. that FDR set forth was equal between Eleanor and Missy, and that yeah. that tells you whether or not they had a relationship. It, you know, set that aside. How important oh, she was right. to right. him. Right. It was, um, he stipulated that half the income of his estate each year would go to Eleanor and half to my friend Marguerite A. Lahan for her medical care. Because from the time Missy had her stroke, Roosevelt personally paid for all her medical care. He brought in the best specialist in the country to see her. And then when they just really couldn't do anything, uh, he she went home to Massachusetts and he continued to pay for her rehabilitation for a, a, a nurse who stayed in her home. He'd do things like send her movie tickets and, and uh, authorize a car to pick her up and take her to the movies. And he really cared a lot about her, but he never saw her again after she left the White House. What was uh, Were you able to determine Eleanor's view of, of Missy okay. Lahand? Yeah. Missy was was vital to Eleanor also because from the time FDR was elected governor of New York in 1928, Missy became the backup White House uh, backup um, hostess at the governor's mansion yeah. and then later at the White House for Eleanor because Eleanor had her own life. She was teaching school in Manhattan three days a week during yeah. the governorship. And if she, you know, she could just go off and do what she was going to do, and Missy would take care of the household and preside over the tea table or the dinner table or supervise the staff or the groceries or whatever, and she could just go off and do that. By the time she got to the White House, she was so involved with these different causes and such and um, became such an activist that her Secret Service name was Rover. I mean, she'd be gone for months at a time, and Missy was, she could always count on Missy to stay behind and take care of things, and also to be a companion to FDR, because their marriage was not close emotionally. Um, I think they really rubbed each other the wrong way uh, most of the time, and, and Missy was, you know, FDR's companion and would spend time with him, and Eleanor just didn't have to worry about it anymore. They were very fond of each other, though, Missy and Eleanor. Whenever Missy was ill, and she had a heart trouble from the time she was a young girl, so that was uh, an ongoing ordeal for her. Eleanor would always step in and take care of her. When her mother died during the campaign of 1932, Eleanor went went home with her to make the funeral arrangements. They were very affectionate in their notes and letters, so... um, there was there was a lot of love there. And that, that's a, that's amazing piece to the story because mm-hmm. with all that is you know has been conjectured out there, you mm-hmm. would think that there would be may, maybe a little bit of uh, of jealousy or whatever mm-hmm. on the part of Eleanor, but it doesn't seem like there was much of that at all. Yeah, Missy was very good about understanding Eleanor's boundaries, and and Eleanor always she always wanted to be 
respect to this first lady, and, and Missy always did that. I never found even the slightest negative thing about Eleanor in any of Missy's correspondence, even with the man she was in love with. It was just always very, very respectful of Eleanor. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the way she was. Uh, what was it about her that that really, really made her so successful at her job? She had tremendous discretion. Nobody could get a word out of her. She was uh, charming, and she was very loyal, and she just had good horse sense. She had a good level head and was a very shrewd judge of character, and she just also knew how to manage FDR. Um, some people have asked me, you know, what what policies did she suggest? And yeah. look, they were full of policy wonks during the New Deal. They're, they didn't need anyone else coming up with ideas, but they were short on people to facilitate and make things happen. Yeah. FDR was a terrible procrastinator. So Missy would just get the gears going, you know, just like bringing Tommy Corcoran in to be his lobbyist. He wasn't going to get that stuff passed without right. a really, really smart guy on Capitol Hill working the system. So, so then her impact on, say, the New Deal was what? I think just getting the, the gears going. I, I can't tell you a single thing that she suggested or what, but she supported what she supported what was good for the little man. She was from a working class neighborhood. She had a high school education. Yeah. She never forgot her roots. And then that was that. The other thing that was really important was she was a Catholic. That was an incredibly important voting block for Roosevelt. Something like 80% of Catholics yeah. voted for him in 1932. And there was a, a the father of hate radio at that time was Father Charles Coughlin, who had 30 million listeners a week. Yeah. That's that's like twice, that's more than twice what Rush Limbaugh has today. And the population of the country was a third of what it is now. And he hated FDR. So, you know, they had to do a lot to keep the Catholic voters in their fold with, and counteract what Father Coughlin was, was saying on the radio. I guess that, that that's a, a piece of this relationship that probably that people don't think about a lot is the mm-hmm. fact that you're talking about a a a, a a large segment of the population, mm-hmm. which would have an immediate relationship with both FDR uh, and uh, and Eleanor, and mm-hmm. if that relationship had been broken in any way, mm-hmm. shape, or form, mm-hmm. they lose a lot of those voters, probably. Very damaging, yeah. And um, he, there, she wasn't the only Catholic around. In fact, FDR had a lot of Catholics around him. Joseph P. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's father, was was a very important Catholic who was uh, worked in his administration. He was ambassador to Great Britain. Didn't do a great job there, but and it was very visible. Um, Tommy Corcoran was another. Uh, Jim Farley, who was the postmaster general. But the funny thing about Eleanor is we know her so well for her broad-mindedness and her support of civil rights and minorities. She didn't like Catholics. Yeah, so she didn't like it that FDR had all these Catholics around him. There's a picture in my book of the day that Missy got a uh, an honorary degree from Rosary College, which is today Dominican University, and they gave it at the White House, and they have two nuns there with the wimples and all that, a Catholic priest, and Eleanor and FDR and Missy, and this went out from the Associated Press all over the country. It had to be great PR for the president, but you could just kind of see Eleanor was... Oh, I really don't want to be here. <laughs> I would imagine. I would imagine that she also played a role uh, in the relationships that that FDR had to have with other countries around the globe. 
I don't know that that I can't tell you the answer to that question. Okay. Um, I know that some of the ambassadors, um, like William Bullitt, who was her boyfriend, he was the ambassador to, to Paris. There was there was a lot of correspondence between some of these ambassadors and and Missy, but she didn't travel. You know, FDR did not travel outside the country um, when she was working with them. She traveled extensively with him inside the United States. 844 Wharton is the number if you'd like to jump in and ask a question. We're talking with Catherine Smith, who's the author of the book The Gatekeeper, which looks at the uh, relationship uh, between uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Missy Lehan, who was his personal secretary, and the work that she did in the White House at that point. You talked a little bit before about the fact that uh, that for that time, she was the chief of staff mm-hmm. uh, for FDR, which, mm-hmm. as you also mentioned, there hasn't been another female chief of staff mm-hmm. uh, at, at the White House. Were the staves of the of the president much smaller at that point where oh, she tiny. really— Oh, yeah. tiny. Yeah, 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 tiny. And, and the thing that's also important to remember is that the title secretary was the ultimate job title for a White House staffer. Missy was the first woman to be private secretary to a president in U.S. history, and she came in with three other secretaries, all men, Louis Howe, who many people will know was FDR's political advisor, Steve Early, who was his press secretary, Marvin McIntyre, his appointment secretary, and Missy, who did everything else. And they appeared together on the cover of Time magazine as the White House Secretariat. There were only three covers of Time in 1934 that had a woman on them, and that she was one of those three, three out of fifty-two that had a woman on them. Wow, that's it. That, that says a lot. That, 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 that does. That one of the call, one of the other ones was a fashion designer, Elsa Schiaparelli, and the other was a group of women for activists for children, and that included Eleanor Roosevelt. But there was Missy, just equal with full with three other men. But so. it it was it was also a time where you know you you had uh, you were really starting to see women take more of a mm-hmm. of an important role in. Mm-hmm. In in business, just in general. I mean, it was still more of a male dominated area, oh, sure. but well, but it still something is. Look at Washington today. Exactly. But yeah, you yeah. have Frances Perkins was the first woman um, cabinet secretary. Did an excellent job at labor. Um, he, I believe that also the secretary of the Mint or the assistant secretary of the Mint was a woman. So there were FDR was a period where a lot of women had very very important jobs in Washington. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Your comments are welcome. Uh, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. What What's the most impressive thing about the work that she did at the White House to you? God, that well, that she not only worked around, you know, at the desk, at the office outside FDRs, but she lived in the White House. So she was just on call 24-7 and you just imagine the pressure of that job. She was serving as a backup hostess. You know, she'd bring in people for to play poker with FDR and, you know, would either sit in on a hand of poker or she would be sure they had their glasses full. And she was just so called upon to do so many different things. Um, that's one of the things that just amazes me. And that she had a bad heart during all that time. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I don't know how she lived as long as she did. Another thing that's really impressive is she she recommended um, appointments to him. Um, in 1932, when he was elected, you didn't take office until March of 33. And during right. that that interim, um, there was an assassination attempt on FDR's life. Uh, it ended up killing the mayor of Chicago instead of him. Um 
All the banks in the country were on the verge of failure. And the man he had had, um, designated to be attorney general died on the way to the inauguration. He had just married. He was an older guy. He was in his 70s. He just married a much younger woman from Cuba, and he died on the train. We don't know why. Um, Someone said it was presumption beyond his powers. But um, anyway, nobody had an idea about who to appoint in his place. And Missy said, well, how about Homer Cummings, who had been a, a... DNC chairman and um, was a lawyer, and he was supposed to be the the governor general of the Philippines. No one could think of a better suggestion, so they approached him, and he said, hmm, Philippines or attorney general? I think I'll be attorney general, (laughs) and and he did, and uh, he was the one who declared a a really arcane um, law that was passed during World War One, sufficient to close the bank down, banks down for a week to get everything reorganized. So, she, you know, she lobbied for Felix Frankfurter to be appointed to the Supreme Court, and he was. So she was. People listened to Missy. It, it sounded. It sounds a lot like you believe that if she would have been healthy enough and and would have potentially wanted to go down this path, that she could have been a, a very motivational force of, in politics herself. I don't see her as someone who would have been interested in office. I think she's always, okay. always have been a facilitator and a power behind the throne. And I don't think she had a big ego like that either. She just adored FDR and what he believed in and just loved working for the Roosevelt's. But you mentioned uh, about the fact that uh, I guess she really didn't want to write her own memoir. No. So was and, she was she a fairly private person? Yes, yes. But she made it very clear she never planned to. She didn't keep a diary. She never made a note, never planned to write a memoir, which made it really challenging for me as a biographer to get, get to the bottom of who she was. Um, I mean, everybody around FDR wrote a memoir after he died. I mean, the how, the lady who was in charge of housekeeping in the White House wrote one. His physician wrote one. Yeah. Um, Grace Tully, who succeeded Missy as private secretary, wrote one. You know, if you didn't work yourself to death under FDR, you wrote a memoir after he died. But Missy never planned to do that. So finding her story was just not only working with the family archive and working with the papers at the um, – FDR library, but just culling little bits of information from every source you can imagine. Um, I had read over a hundred books, just pulling little things out of the diaries of Harold Ickes, who was the labor, uh, the interior secretary, a big fan of Missy's and what he said. It was really a chore, um, but it was a, it was fascinating. So, so what, so what was it originally that, that got you uh, wanting to do a book about her? I wanted to have her job. I thought, <laughs> I thought of all the people in history, what a fascinating job that would have been. And I'm from the South, as you've probably figured out by now. Yep. Um, my grandfather was what we down here call a yellow dog Democrat, which means he would have voted for a yellow dog if it was on the Democratic ticket. And he <laughs> adored FDR because he'd been a young father at the beginning of the Depression, and things yep. really started turning around for him after the New Deal began. So I just learned at my papa's knee about FDR. I mean, the first term paper I ever wrote in high school was about FDR. And the more I read about him during my adult life, there was always this woman hovering in the background. It was always said the one who knew FDR best and the one who could make FDR do things. And um, I thought, wow, well, how fascinating. I'd love to read a book about Missy LaHand. And then I found out no one had ever written one. And I thought, well, I'll write one myself. 
Great job. There we are. <laughs> it, 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 I am a fan of, of history. So to be yeah. able to, and, and this is a part of history that I didn't really even think about mm-hmm. uh, until, uh, you know, getting ready to have you on the show. So yeah. it, when, when you get these types of stories, they're great stories to tell yeah. because yeah. they do kind of give you a little bit more of an insight into the person, right. in this case, FDR, right. and, and how he kind of ran his White House. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of it because of how M- Missy Lahan thought and, and the relationship relationship, uh, professional relationship that the two of them had. Right. It's a friend of mine says it's the last bite of the apple because um, everyone else close to FDR who had you know any importance has really been plumbed already. There have been yeah. books and books and books. And, well, you know, there are just more books come out all the time. There's a new one coming out later this month about Eleanor and um, uh, Lorena Hickok, who was her a close friend, and there's another one coming out today about the last months of FDR and, and how he negotiated the with Stalin at Yalta and all that. Yeah. But um, I, I think that this is, is really giving a, a different insight that people will be very interested in. And I've gotten lots of nice comments from historians. Everyone I talk to, I say, oh, they'd say, oh, I'm a big Missy fan. So uh, <laughs> she's got a lot of fan clubs even today, so many years after her death. Great job, Catherine. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Greatly Thank appreciate you. it. Enjoy talking to you. Have Th- a great day. Thank you. Catherine Smith, the author of the book, The Gatekeeper, Missy Lahand, FDR, and the untold story of the partnership that defined a presidency. Uh, by the way, uh, Missy uh, will be uh, tonight in New York City at the Mid-Manhattan, uh, Mid-Manhattan Library on Fifth Avenue, 455 Fifth Avenue, 630 p.m. Tomorrow she's in D.C., at the Barnes & Noble at Catholic University, and then Thursday, September the 8th, in Hyde Park, of all places, at the FDR Library. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.